0: Welcome to the Horror Babel Originals podcast. The Man Who Saw the Light Over Winter Hill by Ian Gordon. 6. The Silver Vento. The following morning, I received a call from my dad, who had the unpleasant job of delivering bad news. Neil Miller, 27, husband of Lucy and a close friend of my sister, had passed away in the night, of no apparent cause. The young man's heart just stopped beating. Rosie was understandably upset and after a brief discussion she took the decision to head over to Lucy's to provide some much-needed emotional support. I told her not to worry about me. After all, I said, I was under the watchful eye of the police. "'What about that weird car?' she asked. "'If it comes back,' I said, "'I'll have a word with the constable.' Rosie, still shaken, promised to call later on, and set off for Lucy's place in Farnworth. The rest of that morning was just... odd. I heard jolly barking through the wall on a couple of occasions, which immediately took my mind back to the initial sighting of the thing that would eventually mutate into my spitting image. But that took me back to an earlier train of thought that I hadn't properly explored. What if those other things that I had seen—the pale rat, the sniffing dog— were not iterations of what I'd encountered in my bedroom on Boxing Day. What if those critters were entirely separate entities, each of them still out there on the prowl, disturbing Justin's bulldog from time to time? Truth be told, I didn't know what to think. The involvement of the police had forced me to put my foot on the brake, as it were. It had prevented me from going out and doing my own investigation. With that in mind, haunted by the silence of the house, I decided to head out to the shop. A look in the fridge revealed I was lacking a few items, so what better way to gain perspective than by taking a leisurely fifty-minute walk to the local supermarket? But there was nothing leisurely about it. Descending Chapel Lane, I couldn't stop myself from glaring into the yards of my neighbours, expecting to see pale rodents lurking there. "'Numerous nervous glances towards the wooded slopes of the valley "'revealed nothing but tree-trunks and spindly burr-branches. "'But my mind's eye saw dog-like things and naked mannequin-men. "'And when I reached Chorley Old Road, the main route down to Orwich, "'dusted as it was by the lightest sprinkling of snow, "'I immediately caught sight of a silver vento with tinted windows.' THE Silver Vento with tinted windows. It was parked off-road on a patch of rough ground, looking, as I imagined to the majority of passers-by, quite inconspicuous, but to me it was incredibly unnerving. Again, its bloated engine was ticking over, producing that horrible, whirring racket. I tried to pay it as little mind as possible, pacing on in the direction of Orich, my head in the clouds, And when, finally, I found the nerve to squint over my shoulder, I saw that it remained in exactly the same spot. Perhaps the car had nothing to do with me after all. Probably an undercover operative, I said to myself, on a case completely unrelated to my run-in with that shape-shifting gentleman. I pressed on. I reached the supermarket, did my shopping, stuffed the much-needed items into my backpack— and stepped back out into the cold. And cold it was by now. The snow was falling again, bringing with it that proper winter chill that characterises the season. But I climbed surely old road with a developing sense of dread. And I knew that that silver car was still going to be there, parked on that bit of rough ground, its engine ticking over ceaselessly. And it wasn't long before I could see it up ahead of me, Pumping clouds of noxious fumes into the brisk air. It has a personality of its own, that car. And I use the present tense because, just as I stated earlier, it's outside the house, right now, driving the neighbours barmy. But that's jumping the gun. As I say, it has a personality of its own. And as I approached it off Chorley Old Road, it leered at me like a metal monster. "'suggestive of a hungry polar bear on the Arctic ice, primed to pounce. "'The crap oozing from the exhaust formed strange shapes in the air above it, "'indicative of ghostly fingers pointing, prodding, accusing. "'But once again I passed the car without incident. "'That is, until I began to climb Peter's lane in the direction of the village. "'The grey monster came to life, roaring as it manoeuvred onto the road proper.' and began to follow me along the lane at a not-so-discreet distance. Was it following me, or was this just another coincidence? I decided to find out, but not straight off. I reached the edge of Narrow Valley, and made my way up Match Lane towards the old church at the junction of Match and Chapel. Once there, I ducked into the graveyard, reasonably sure that the driver of the car— whoever, or whatever that might be, saw me do so. The church has been abandoned for some years. I can't even tell you what it's called, despite the fact that I've heard a dozen or so neighbours refer to it by name over the years, and so the overgrown graveyard, I thought, would be quite the convenient location for a bit of hide-and-seek. Though my backpack made it difficult, I managed to squeeze myself into a spot between two stones, shrouded by holly, and with a good view of the road. I waited there for a few minutes, before the rumble of the Vento announced the arrival of my would-be pursuer. The car pulled over, and the hidden driver killed the engine. Moments later, the driver's side door opened, and from my vantage point looking towards the front of the vehicle, I caught sight of a pair of tidy-looking black shoes, contrasting starkly with the snow-dusted streets and then the figure they belonged to emerged from the vehicle. This was an odd-looking character altogether, a very tall and dark-suited, androgynous-looking figure, with long arms like a monkey's. As the person stepped away from the car, I saw that he or she moved with great difficulty, almost as though these were his or her first steps. And then the figure, whose pale face I could now partially see, mostly hidden by a pair of black sunglasses and a brimmed hat, hesitated next to the small wall that borders the graveyard. I'd hazard that he or she looked perplexed by the wall, encountering seemingly an insurmountable obstacle, and just like that the person turned and inched his or her way back to the car, clambering in with much ado. Seconds later, the car started up again, and off it went, ending up Unos were. I remained in my hiding place for several minutes, thoroughly spooked. I'd never seen anybody like that in my life. The sight of that otherworldly figure really got under my skin. I was reminded of those old mysteries, like the Solway spaceman, in which an average Joe catches a glimpse of something beyond their reckoning, and is later visited by peculiar almost inhuman men in suits who ask endless questions, then abruptly take off, never to be heard from again, but whose presence is felt at times in various unsettling forms. I didn't like it one bit. Would I be under constant surveillance from now on? I fled home, giving the contents of my backpack a thoroughly good shaking up along the way— "'Fuck it,' I muttered to myself as I slipped in through the back door. "'I'm going nowhere for a while.'